Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, Venture, as we uh, get near the end of this series in the book of Philippians, this reframe series, uh, I know I say it every week that every one of these passages I think are so appropriate to our times. But the verses we're going to look at today, I, I think they provide for us both a pathway and a promise for something that is so desperately needed today. And that's the word peace. I, I don't know about you, when I hear the word peace, especially in today's world, there's something in my soul that longs for it. And, and maybe it's the fact that we are such an anxious people right now. In fact, I, I was looking at and reading all the different types of anxieties that we deal with. I mean, you, you just think about it. There's huge COVID-related anxiety. I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic still that we thought was going to be over. There's government anxiety based on what's going on with it. There's world issues anxiety. There's health anxiety. Even before COVID, health was the number one cause of anxiety for people in our country. Financial anxiety. There's body image anxiety. There's performance anxiety, especially for young people. It's interesting how much this, these anxieties, they spike with the younger generations. And so for young people today who live under these unbelievable expectations of how they're supposed to deliver sports-wise and academic-wise and career-wise, with those expectations also go a lot of anxieties. There's youth anxiety in general. 36% of girls 13 to 17, and 26% of boys have what they would call an anxiety disorder at that age. Parenting anxiety, especially for young parents. What, what used to be done with wisdom or, or a village together is now they're finding parents try to do it alone. They parent via Google and themselves. And in that process, they hear everything that could go wrong and the anxiety that goes up with it. There's separation anxiety, and I'm not talking about when you drop your two-year-old off at the new year, uh, nursery. I'm talking about the separation anxiety we feel when we feel like we've gotten disconnected, when we left our phone. I, I don't know if you've had this recently. I, I mean, the other day I was driving to the hardware store, and I realized I'd left my phone at home. And, and for a moment, I almost turned around to go get it. And then I thought, wait, I used to live every day of my life without a phone on me, and now I can't even go to the hardware store? Because we're so used to getting connected and hearing and, and feeling all the time. And the anxiety that it produces. Folks, we, we are an anxious people like never before. And the fascinating part to me is in the studies of developed nations, it's spiking in the United States at a higher rate than any other country. That anxiety that we feel. And then let me say again the word peace. If you're in your Bibles in Philippians 4, Paul offers a, a couple of promises in this passage. Look at it. He says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is embedded right in our passage today. And I love this. This peace of God. It's not a natural peace. So I, I don't have a pep talk today. I don't, I don't have five things that, you know, if you go apply this like a TED talk. I want to talk to you about something that's supernatural. It's the peace of God. In fact, it, it's beyond our understanding. Some of the ways this works, we don't fully understand. 
But God wants to give us a peace that would literally guard our hearts and our minds to keep us from constantly being invaded by the anxiety the world has. A little later in the same passage, look what he puts with it. He says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I love how he puts it together. Up here he says, hey, I want to give you the peace of God so that you can experience the God of peace. Here's his point that he's saying to us. He says, we can experience the peace of God because we have a relationship with the God of peace. See, that's the key in this whole passage. So everything that I'm going to teach you, and it's going to be some really practical ways to live this out, ways to experience that peace. But all of it is rooted in this truth. It's a peace that comes from God because we have a relationship with the God of peace. Now, a couple of caveats right here at the beginning, uh, I'll just say. One, and it's pretty explicit here, but make sure you know this. You can't experience the kind of peace I'm talking about unless you have a relationship with the God of peace. Unless you have a relationship through Christ. That's why when Jesus was born, the angels declared that night, peace on earth, goodwill to men. It, it was their declaration that through this baby, through Christ, humanity's going to get to experience something that is not natural to them. It's actually a peace with God. It's a peace with each other. And also a peace with yourself. And so if, if you've never taken that step of faith, if you've never received that gift of salvation in Christ, this is another reason. I, I would just encourage you, keep exploring it. And, and maybe you're here, you're not ready to take that step yet. I, I'm so glad you're watching this message. But I would hope throughout this message that that part of your heart and soul that longs for this kind of peace would reach out to experience it through Christ because it's the only way. Now, second caveat, I just say at the beginning, anytime I talk about anxiety, anytime you talk about these passages on peace, it is particularly hard for some of you to hear it because you struggle with debilitating anxiety. I mean, you, you struggle with it at a way that sometimes it's clinical, sometimes it's medical, sometimes it's long patterns in your life. And maybe even as I dove in, there's a part of you that's discouraged right out of the gate. Because you hear it and you go, oh, I know where this is going. And you almost get beat up by the truth that's presented there. Or you go ahead and tell yourself, yeah, I've tried that before. It just doesn't work for me. I'm going to address a little bit later. As we get into the passage, specifically that verse we looked at earlier, we, we want to look at that. Here's all I'd say at the beginning. I, I promise, I promise, I won't make a simplistic application. Oh, if you just did this, it'll clear up all your problems because I know better. I have too many people in my life that I love that deal with the same issue. And so I, I don't want to put on you, boy, if you were just more spiritual, or if you just applied that, because I don't think Christ is doing that to you. So I won't give you a simplistic application in it. But likewise, would you stay open during this message that you don't just have a simplistic rejection? That, that you believe the lie, because this is what Satan wants you to believe, that this part of Scripture will never be true for you. See, I believe the Bible is true for all of us. Some of us experience it in different ways. Some of us struggle in different ways. But God's truth is all of our truth. And I think there's parts of this passage that could help you experience peace too. So as we look at this passage, and I want to encourage everybody in Philippians 4, 1 through 9, often we look at those verses of peace and we just apply them to their immediate context. Paul, in this passage, these nine verses... 
He's tied all of this together. In fact, I think there's some health in looking at the whole because as we go through this passage, I've identified seven things that I think can rob your peace. But then if you flip it around, it might be seven things that you go, you know, if I were to start doing this, I could experience peace the way God gives it. Let's look at the first one. Look at the first one. One, develop a resilient faith. If this is the peace of God and it comes from a relationship with God, boy, the more we have that resilient faith, the more we experience it. Look how he puts it in verse 1 with the Philippians. He says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. He's getting near the end of the letter, and you kind of feel his emotions a little bit. As he's starting to wrap up, man, he's like, I hope these guys know how much I love them. I hope they know how proud I am of them. I hope that they're, they're literally my joy and my crown. And, and so he tells them again, and we've seen this command several times in the book. He says, stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. Boy, that, that command to stand firm, and that's what I mean when I talk about that resilient faith. You have a faith that's established. You have a faith that's built on God's word. You have a faith that, that's strong in the gospel. And Paul says, hey, don't waver in that. Don't worry what the world's saying. Don't worry what everybody else in Philippi is doing. Don't worry that these false teachers are coming in and they're kind of wooing you with this new teaching. He says, you stand firm. And, and I would encourage you, because I think there's, especially, and I've, I've talked about this several weeks, but, but this next generation and a younger generation, some of you, you literally have no peace in your life because you keep wavering on what you believe. There's a whole movement of young people even that have grown up in the church, and it's not just young people. I mean, I, I'll follow pastors I follow and other people, and here's what they describe it. They say they're deconstructing their faith. And sometimes it's because you've been maybe hurt by the church. Or maybe there's a part of it that, that we, we took what was a cultural movement and we said, oh, this is God, and it really wasn't what Scripture was teaching. I, I understand there's a place to scrutinize. For some of you, maybe you've reached adulthood and, and you want to own your faith. But I'm seeing this movement enough where people, they start questioning maybe practices and then they start questioning doctrines. And then they start drifting even more to the point that you're seeing a number of people that just literally walk away from their faith. The Bible has a term for it. They call it apostasy. It happened in Paul's time. It's not just new to our time. And Paul saw it happen. He saw it with one of his key guys, a guy named Demas, that worked with Paul, walked away completely. And sometimes when these people deconstruct, they'll, they'll express, oh, I have such relief now. I have relief because I'm not living in that tension anymore. Just, just hear me, there's a big difference between relief and peace and the peace that Christ provides. And I, I would just encourage you, especially when you're around mature believers, I, I cannot describe for you in words, but I've known enough mature believers and I've, I've experienced enough in my own life, the peace of knowing, man, God's word is true. The peace of knowing Christ is who he says he is. The peace of building my life on that, regardless of what the culture does. Culture may change. Culture may come against. There's a peace that comes with having a resilient faith that can weather those storms. I, I want to encourage you, in fact, the next sermon series we're going to do is how do you develop a resilient faith? What are some of the core practices 
that some of the, the writings and research that I've seen, what Scripture say, and we're really doing it in two parts because I want to look at what are those core practices, but then address what are some of those core issues that, that this generation's struggling with today that maybe keeps you from having that resilient faith. Maybe it's an issue of how could you really trust the Bible? I mean, to really believe this book is true. How, how do you know Jesus really is the exclusive way to God? How, how do you deal with relationships today? I mean, we live in a world where we're told love is love, and anything less than that is intolerant. We're, we're going to look at some of those issues and dive into them because I think it is so important that we live out this principle that Paul's teaching us and have the peace that comes from it. Look at the second one here. Second one, reconcile your relationships with other believers. Now, this, this principle is stealing a lot of the peace in churches today, with Christians today, even families today. The, the divisions that have come up. And the church at Philippi wasn't immune to it. Look, look what Paul says in the passage. He says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche. These are two women. These are women's names. And two women that were in the church, women obviously that were leaders in the church. And Paul's, that word entreat is like, I'm addressing this to you too. To agree in the Lord. There was some disagreement between them. Yes, I also ask you, true companion. So he's writing specifically somebody in the church. He calls them a true companion. You need to help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So he's writing believers, and notice in this, he doesn't say that one or the other is right. Paul doesn't take sides in the issue, and he doesn't say that it's a doctrinal issue. Obviously, if it was something, I mean, we've seen it all throughout the book, if one or the other of these was teaching something that was wrong, that was against Scripture, Paul would call it out. So obviously there's a disagreement here that's not doctrinal, but personal. And there's some point of disagreement that it's causing tension in the church over it. It's interesting, this, this word euodia, uh, it, it literally means sweet smelling. Probably characteristic, she was a sweet lady in the church. And, and syntyche means friendly. But somewhere along the way, she's not so sweet and she's not so friendly. And Paul calls them out, by the way. Notice he names names. I can only imagine. You imagine if they ever talk in heaven. I'm, I'm sure these two walk up to Paul every so often and go, did you have to call us out by name? I mean, in the Bible forever, we're, we're there. But that's how important this is. Now, as we talk about this, the, the reason I think this principle is important and I think it's robbing a lot of peace today, there's been more division over the last year and a half than I've ever seen in churches, in families, among Christians. And people are dividing over a lot of things and you know what? Usually, it has nothing to do with Scripture. It's opinions. It's perspectives. And again, we've talked about this all along. We, we, we don't all have to agree on everything. I'm not trying to make your opinion my opinion on everything. But I think it's robbing the peace in a lot of our lives, in our homes, and our families. Look how Paul addressed this. Look, look at the three things. One, choose to unify around who God is and what he says. Paul, Paul doesn't say to him, man, you two have to agree on the issue you're fighting about. He says, no, but you can't agree in the Lord. You can't agree in who God is. You can't agree in what he says in his word. See, the reality is we always unify around the truth of God's word. We never waver in that doctrine. 
Paul would be the first to go, oh man, if you're teaching something different, we disagree, we pull apart. But if this is over your preferences, or this is over your opinions, and, and you look at all the disagreements, and we're going to disagree. You have people that disagree over masks, and we disagree over vaccines, and disagree over what the government's doing. and disagree. I mean, these disagreements, we've seen them all over the place. And as we see those disagreements, disagreements about politics. Because here, here's all I would say. Those issues were never the th reason we were unified to begin with. So don't let them be the issues that pull us apart. We were unified because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's who Paul calls him to. Notice the second thing as well, and maybe you need to do this. Seek outside counsel or mediation when needed. Paul, Paul addresses it directly. He says, hey, true companion, Clement, these other people in the church, you need to help them. They're not going to get there on their own. And maybe you're at a place, maybe in your marriage, man, you two are in such conflict. Get outside help. Go see a counselor. Go see a pastor. Talk to somebody. Maybe there's division in your family. Maybe there's division with a friend. Maybe you've been carrying this long enough, and every time you get together, it only gets worse. Maybe both of you have to be humble enough that you go, you know what, we're going to seek someone else and let them speak into this. And notice as well, Paul's telling these leaders in the church, hey, you need to step into it too. Don't let it just implode. That, that, that couple in your life group that you're watching their marriage implode and everybody's kind of watching from the sideline, hey, somebody needs to sit down with them. Somebody needs to have the guts to go, hey, can, can we resolve things here? This is what Christians do. Third part of it as well is recognize that what unites us is more important than what divides us. I mean, Paul goes, hey, we served side by side with the gospel. We're taking this gospel out, the cause of Christ. And I love this. He says, our names are in the book of life. Euodia, Syntyche, your names are literally, there's a book that Jesus has that everyone that believes in him, your name is in the book of life. I mean, that's, your entrance into eternity is based on the fact that your name is there. We're going to share heaven together one day. And you two can't get along here. And, and I'd say that to you. Some of the people that you're going to share heaven with you're divided with now? I mean, think about that. If Christ can invite them in, if Christ can have a relationship with them, can't we with each other? I mean, you're going to do it there one day. And I know what you're probably thinking. You go, yeah, well, when we get there, Christ is also going to change them so that they're not such a dumb chowderhead who gets on my nerves all the time. Yeah, Christ is also going to change you and the things that are wrong with you. Because here's what I'd say. All of life here is preparation for eternity there. And if we're going to live together there, don't you think we're supposed to do life together here? And for some of you, this is the issue that keeps you from experiencing peace, this conflict you have with someone. And you need to deal with it because you're going to regret the time lost that you could have been doing life together. Look at the third thing. Third thing on this. Consciously choose joy in the Lord in any and every circumstance. And, and notice, I'd say consciously choose joy because it doesn't come naturally to us. He's not just talking about natural happiness. L look at the verse here. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. 
Now, why does Paul repeat himself? Because we don't like doing this. Oh, we like doing this. We like rejoicing in the Lord when I feel like rejoicing in the Lord. I mean, I love rejoicing in the Lord when I'm in the worship center and Shep's singing a song and everybody's singing and it's awesome and we're all in it together. And I go, oh yeah, I love rejoicing in the Lord. I don't like rejoicing in the Lord when I'm sitting down paying a bunch of bills or there's a new diagnosis or I see something on the news. I mean, there's all different circumstances where in those moments, man, that's where I need the second part of, yeah, no, you choose to do it then. Now, when I say this, though, choosing joy doesn't mean, oh, I've erased all the other emotions. In fact, here's a point I would say with it. It does not mean we're denying the real emotions of the circumstances. I mean, think about Scripture. Scripture says there's a time to laugh and a time to cry. In Scripture, Jesus demonstrates the full range of emotions. I mean, he sobs at his friend's grave. He laughs. He, he's angry. There, there's all these different emotions that you see. And so there's no part of this verse that tells you you're just supposed to be happy all the time or you're just supposed to feel good all the time. If you just love Jesus enough, you're going to feel good all the time. I mean, if you want to feel good all the time, you probably just should start taking more drugs. Now, the crash on it's really bad, but, but that's what that lifestyle is. Here's what this is teaching instead. It's teaching that as I experience those emotions, I'm still choosing joy. Look, look at the point with it. We choose to find joy in who God is and what He's doing. He says, choose to rejoice in the Lord always. See, the command is not rejoice in your circumstances. Because there's some circumstances that will not produce joy. They will not produce happiness. I'm telling you, if you're facing illness or you've lost a loved one or you're struggling because you don't have a job or you've got a prodigal child that your heart breaks for, I mean, those emotions are real. And those circumstances are not going to naturally produce this emotion of, oh, I'm happy. But here's what I choose in those moments. That I choose joy in my sadness. I choose joy in my fear. I choose joy in the heartbreak. See, that choice of joy, because those circumstances change all the time, how can I choose joy? Because I choose joy based on who He is and what He's done. And see, He's unchanging. And He's unfolding. And even when I don't like the circumstances, I'm learning to love Him and know Him and be like Him. And in that moment, I can choose joy. It's a short verse, but it's a hard one. But it's a game changer when it comes to peace. Look at the fourth one. Be reasonable and calm with everyone. Be reasonable and calm with everyone. Look at this little verse. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And so he's been talking about we get along with each other in the church. Now he's talking about people outside the church. This is with everyone. Notice he says the approach for Christians is be reasonable. That, that word, it, it's hard to translate in English. Part of it is being reasonable. Part of it is calm. Part of it is gentleness. Uh, some translations say let your gentleness be known. There, it, it's a demeanor that we have. That as we're approaching people, as we interact with people, they would see us coming and they go, oh yeah, there's Tim. 
He'll be reasonable. He'll be calm. He's not going to fly off the handle. He's not upset all the time. Now, I, I know as I say this, some of you are going, yeah, but Tim, I mean, aren't there times we're supposed to get upset? Even Jesus got upset. I mean, he got so angry at the temple, he pulled out a whip. He was driving them out with the whip. And I'd go, absolutely, this verse is not meaning, I mean, Paul says, be angry and do not sin. So there's a place for anger and all that. But as I read through the Gospels, if you read with me, Jesus doesn't have his whip out all the time. That was the exceptional time. That's why it stood out to us so much. And what Paul's telling us is the general response is I'm dealing with people. Man, I, I, I approach it with a reasonable manner. Now, they may not think I'm very reasonable, especially if somebody doesn't believe like I do. I mean, I read what people say about Christians and atheists, and you're like, oh, is that what your sky, invisible sky father told you to do in, the, in your mythical book that was written and the fairy tale of Jesus? I mean, I hear what people, th they think we're crazy in a lot of ways. And in those moments, I can get angry. How dare them say that, get my whip. Until I realize, wait, you know what? If I were a Christian, I probably would think that too. And, and so how do I, in a reasonable way, Show them who Jesus is. And show them that this unbelievable story actually is true. Can I just give you a practical application for, for just how to apply this verse? And I think a lot of people need to hear this. For many of us, as you kind of picture the console of your brain and your emotions, if, if you had a keypad there with all the different emotions on it, some of you need to take your finger off the outrage button. Literally, your finger stays on the outrage button all the time. And everything you see on the news, everything on social media, everything that happens, the first response is outrage, 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 outrage. And you live in that all the time. Now, now hear me. There's a place for outrage. Honestly, I've been outraged as I, I see what's happening in Afghanistan. My heart breaks for those people in the situation. But we can't stay in that state that everything is outrage. All the time. Guys, we live in California. <laughs> there, there's reasons all around us to be outraged if you wanted to. But, but here's what Paul says. He says, yeah, but you want to be known as reasonable people. You don't want to be the people just what you're against. Man, show people what you're for and who you're living for. And, and as I look at California, I, again, there's a lot of things I, I look all around. But I'll just remind you, you know why I'm here? I can't think of a better place on the planet than to live in the Bay Area. Because I get to interact with people from all over the world. They've all moved here. And because they move from all over the world, they got different way of looking at life than I do. Many of them haven't even heard the gospel. I get to interact with people that their thoughts and their companies and their ideas are shaping this world. Now, sometimes they use it in ways that I go, oh, don't do it like that. But then that motivates me that much more. And I go, oh, man, if they had Jesus, man, think of the impact of it. See, I can't think of a better place to be, not because I look around and everybody's like me. I look around and I go, man, these people need Jesus. And this could have such impact. But see, I, I don't think they're going to experience it. And I know I'm not going to live that kind of peace that Paul's describing. Unless I, I choose to live out verses like this. I'll give you number four, five. Number five, consistently release anxiety through prayer. This is a key one. 
This is a key one. If you, if you don't take any other point, this one. And, and the reason I say release anxiety, I, you can't control when you get anxious or when you get stressed. The bodies naturally respond. The, the chemical responses in the body and the brain with that, when you're facing different stimuli, when you're facing different things, that stress goes up, and the more you hold on to it, that stress then becomes anxiety. And that anxiety turns into worry. And, and so you have to make this choice. We have to release it. Here's how Scripture tells us to release it, through prayer. Look at the verse that Paul says. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I made this our reframe verses of the week. These would be great verses to memorize. He says, do not be anxious. Oh, again, he puts that qualifier, about anything. In other words, no matter what you're facing, don't make the choice to hold on to that anxiety. So how do I let go of it? Prayer. It's the number one release of anxiety. It's the number one way. And, and don't just pray. Notice he tells us how to pray. As you do that, first, you need to be humble. You need to be humble. You release control to God. Prayer and supplication. That, that idea of supplication is I'm just literally laying my life before God. See, a lot of times I will pray, but I pray like I'm still in control. So I come to God with a game plan. All right, God, this is what you need to do. And if you'll do this and this and make them do that and make that and that and that, and I'm trying to control people, I'm trying to control kids, I'm trying to control, those kind of prayers actually make me more anxious. <laughs> because then I get impatient with God. God, I figured it out. Here's the game plan. Come on, get on with it. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul, Paul says, no, no, no. You come with the game plan and you go, hey, God, I give it to you. Because you're God and I'm not. So I'm laying this before you. as an act of humility. Now, with that, though, I, I would add, be direct. Tell God what you actually want. I mean, he says you do it with supplication, but you let your request be known. You actually share the desires of your heart. Some people kind of almost in this humbleness, you pray so ambiguous. It's like, Father, if thou wilt, do your will in ways that only you can move and whatever thou wilt want to do. In that. And I appreciate you're, you're trying to be humble, but those prayers are not going to release your anxiety. Here's what God wants from you, especially on a personal level. Get real. Man, God, this is my heart's desire. Now, you've got the game plan. I, I don't, but I'm going to tell you what I, I, I want to see happen in specific ways. And, and the reason you lay out the desires of your heart is not because God doesn't know them. Guys, he already knows them. But often we don't know them. Or, or we don't realize what they sound like. Or we don't realize how those desires need to be shaped. And that our own desires might be the reason we have so much anxiety. But as I give them specifically to God, it helps reveal me to me and reveals God to me. Third part of that as well, he says, be thankful. You do all this with thanks because I'm remembering, oh, this is what God's done. There's a gratitude in this, even as I lay it out before him, because in light of the fact that all you've done for me, can I lay out these desires now? And I tell you, as a parent, the difference in that, when my kids come to me and they ask for something, man, when they come with a, uh, an attitude of expectation, it's just like, uh, man, you feel spoiled. But boy, when they come with an attitude of gratitude, when they're already just so thankful 
for what they do have. Man, I, I just tell you as a parent, when you see that, you're like, oh, man, I want to step into that and give to that that much more. Now, as I say this, this verse is so important because this is how you release. I, I want to address what I said earlier, though. For a lot of you that have this debilitating anxiety, these are really hard verses because you've tried to live them out and you pray. And there's a part of you that goes, oh, why am I still anxious? Why am I literally debilitated by it? Why does it control my thoughts? I mean, to the point that it can lead to suicidal thoughts. It can lead to where I can't, I can't overcome it. And, and there's a part where Satan beats you up with it because here's what he tells you. Oh, man, if you were more spiritual, you could do it. You could do it. You could do it. And then when it doesn't happen, he then whispers in your other ear and goes, well, this isn't true. God doesn't love you. And some of you, you, even as I've been talking through this, you go, man, I'd love for these verses to be true for me. Here's what I would encourage you. And, and this is that part. These commands in Scripture are true for you. But sometimes, maybe it's based on literally the chemicals in your brain. Your brain's not producing. Sometimes it's based on trauma in your past. There can be a number of reasons that you've hit a point that you're trying as hard as you can, but you can't live out the very desires of your heart of these passages. And you're not experiencing that. I would liken it like if we're all running this race and we all go running, but I look over, there's a pit and there's somebody down in that pit and they're running just as hard as I am. In fact, sometimes they're running harder, but they can't get out of the pit. And they don't stand over the pit and condemn them and go, oh, if you were spiritual, you'd be running up here. No, what does scripture say? It says bear one another's burdens. How do we reach in and go, hey, I want to help you out of there. And you need to hear me. I think one of the greatest helps God's given us, he's given us medicine that helps with mental health. He's given us counselors. He's given us doctors. He's given us treatment programs. See, I view all those gifts from God as from God. And so partaking of medicine for mental health, to me, is no less spiritual than partaking of medicine for physical health. And I would hope if you feel like, man, I'm in that pit and I'm running, I'm trying to apply these verses as hard as I can. I just don't feel like I ever get anywhere. Maybe you're dealing with some of these issues that you need some help out. Not because it's going to solve everything. It just helps you up so that you can run that much more. See, I, I hope venture is always a place where we remove stigmas around this kind of thing. Uh, th this is a place that People struggle because you can be in that pit for all different reasons. It could be mental health issues. It could be addiction. It, it, it could be issues that you've dealt with. I would hope we're always the kind of church that instead of condemning people that are in the pit that are trying as hard as they can, we're always a church that's helping out. And, and part of that is just sharing our stories. You know, uh, you, you probably run into more people at this church that deal with this than you think. Uh, Alicia Gibson, who serves on our staff as the connection director, uh, you see her on stage a lot. She's online host a lot. She's so personable. But she's also experienced these struggles. I want you to hear Alicia's story with me. I'm Alicia Gibson, and I'm from Western North Carolina, little tiny town, middle of nowhere. I grew up in a really big family, so I'm the oldest of five kids. And my earliest memories that I have were anxious memories, but at the time I didn't have any verbiage for what I was experiencing. 
I just kind of assumed that everybody felt that way. As I was in like middle school or so, I started noticing that anything that I would see in the world, whether it be on the news or maybe a movie poster or anything like that that bothered me, I could not stop thinking about it. And it just kind of got me into this spiral where I felt kind of incapacitated by my own brain. By the time I was 13, it really just hit like a downward spiral. It got really bad. I was starting to deal with panic attacks. And so I just started reading scripture. Um, I started in the Gospels and I just read all four of the Gospels. I just kind of saw Jesus in a new light. I just accepted him because I was like, this has to be the answer. And I would love to say that everything got better, that my anxiety suddenly went away because, well, now I'm a Christian, I've got the Holy Spirit and all this, and it wasn't like this miraculous thing that was just changing all of a sudden. And it actually, in a lot of ways, got a lot worse. I started dealing with suicidal thoughts. I um, finally told my parents what was going on. They took me to uh, the pastor of counseling at our church. She was like, you know, this is actually pretty normal. Like, I think you've got obsessive compulsive disorder. Like, I think you've got some chemical stuff that's happening in your brain and you're not crazy. And that was her thing she told me for like, I saw her for like two years and it was, you're not crazy, you're not crazy. And so she was like, you know, we worked together for a long time and I think that this is chemical. And so I think that you should see a psychiatrist. And I was so opposed to that because I was like, well, God's gonna heal me. And I remember having a conversation with my mom about it and just kind of sharing that. And she was like, you know, God can like heal in a lot of different ways and he can use a lot of different things to bring healing. Pray through it and everything, but don't disqualify that as a way that God can use to bring you healing. Once I started taking the medication that they had prescribed, that was when I realized I'd been anxious since I was two because I'd never experienced anything else. And I, it was just kind of incredible because it was just like, this is what other people feel. So even as I'm dealing with anxiety and phases of anxiety now, there are definitely tools and things that I know that I need to do to bring myself back. Definitely like being in the Word. And I'm definitely like a scripture nerd too, so that's a big thing. And I think a lot of it is meditating on scripture um, because I tend to keep things in my head and I need them to go to my heart. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I definitely do remember reading this so many times. Um, yeah, the idea of like, don't be anxious about anything seems kind of impossible to me. <laughs> um, even if you don't deal with an anxiety disorder, like, we're small and we're fragile. And yet he's saying, don't be anxious. And not only is he saying, don't be anxious, he's giving us something else to do. So instead of, you know, being anxious and living in that space, bring all of that to the Lord. And he's the one who's gonna transform your mind. And for me, there's a lot of peace there because it's so easy to fall back into that place. But if I'm bringing those things to him, it is like renewing my mind, it's changing my mind. And when he's the one that's working in my, in my brain and in my heart, then there is peace that comes that doesn't make any sense. Peace that, I mean, honestly, I feel like I experience in a lot of ways, not always, but even just looking back to where I was, it doesn't make logical sense for me to be where I am today. That's peace that surpasses understanding. And I, I so appreciate her telling her story, and, and I hope you heard all the elements in it. I mean, all along the way, God used 
parents. God used counseling. God used medicine. Uh, and he's using his word now so that she can live that out. And I, I would just encourage you, because and the reason I say this, some of you feel so trapped or so discouraged. And I, I would hope you'd reach out. I'd hope you find Venture be a church that wants to help you get out of the pit in that. In fact, one of my favorite ministries we have here is a ministry called Living with Hope in Mental Health. And they meet every other Monday night, and they're going to start back up on September 20th. And in it, they've got men's groups, they've got women's groups, they've got family groups for, for biblical counsel and support and help with each other. It's not therapy groups. Uh, we're not trying to take the place of professionals. But it helps to have other believers along the way go, oh, I can identify with that. Hey, I'm here for you. And so I'd encourage you, uh, go on the website, look for that ministry. Maybe that would be a first step to help you run that race that much more. Hey, a couple things, just finish out here, two more. Number six, Paul says, after you've done that in prayer, then you need to protect and direct your thoughts to what is good and true and lovely. There's a protection of what's going in, but also a direction, a proactive step you take. Look how he puts it. In Philippians 4, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And I just ask you on a practical level, what do you actually think about? Now, when Paul wrote about this, they were a culture more that they actually had to think more than we do. We've outsourced all our thinking now. I mean, if you think about any free time that we have, we immediately either have a television or a phone or social media. We have some device that's giving us thoughts all the time. And so I think it's that much more important that we're protecting ourselves. Of Are these the kind of things I'm letting in? Or do I always flood my mind with what's wrong, what's broken, what's ugly? I mean, even in entertainment, sometimes we get so drawn to the dark things that you just look at it and go, what, what, am I allowing uplifting things to feed my soul? And do I proactively seek this out? That, that I'm thinking about the good things of God's Word. That's why meditating on Scripture is so helpful in this. Because it draws you to that thing that is good. That's why when, when you look at the good of God's creation, God created this planet. That, that's why looking at the beauty of creation, looking at the beauty of this world. I think personally, one of the most soul stimulating things for me is seeing the beauty of art. I mean, when you see excellence in music or in art, there's, there's part of that that God's creativity comes through from that person it created in the image of God. And it feeds the soul and brings peace. Maybe you just should look at your schedule in a week and go, you know, how often am I proactively seeking that out? Final thing I'd say with it, is to put into practice what you've seen and learned from mature believers. Look how Paul ends this section. He says in it, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I, I love this distinction, because a lot of times, and frankly in church, and Bible church, man, we love to learn, and we love to receive, and we love to hear people teach, and we love to see it. And we often just stop right there. And if I can just have more of that, oh, just teach me more. And I'll learn more. And I'll see more. And we wonder why we don't experience peace more. Paul says, that's all great, but here's the deal. you got to actually go practice it. You actually have to go do it. 
That's the only way you're going to experience this. I mean, think about it, and sometimes even I feel it with sermons in church each week. I mean, imagine if this sermon or this time that we had together, what if this was a piano lesson instead? And, and you pull up this message every week because you want to learn about the piano. And every week I show you new things. I show you where to place your hands on keys. I show you different chords. I teach deep theory or I play a new song for you every week. And then every week you finish, you go, oh, when you played that, oh, it so moved me. Oh, I'd, I'd never understood that before about musical composition. You unlock things for me. And then you're done with the message. And the rest of the week, you never actually play the piano. But you can't wait the next week to come back in and, oh, Tim's going to tell me more about the piano and he's going to play the piano and he's going to talk about the piano and he's going to unlock the But you never play the piano. I mean, I mean, literally, you would look at that and you go, yeah, that's the dumbest way to learn how to play piano out there. And yet sometimes I think that's what we turn this into. Guys, I love teaching you. I love pointing out things in Scripture. I love applying, hey, this is what's going on in my life, or somebody like Alicia sharing their story. But, it, but if that's all we do, you're not going to experience this. And so a passage of all these principles, how to experience peace, if you don't practice it, you don't get to receive it. Here's the good news. This is your piano. Go play it. The, the gospel is your ability. It's what you're grounded in. The Holy Spirit is your empowerment. The world is your concert hall. And, and we get the opportunity to go out with this truth and with this empowerment, with this change from Christ, and with this opportunity to show them the music of the peace of God and what he's done in our life. But you have to practice it. So I'd encourage you to take some time today or this week and maybe go through each one of these things. Maybe there's one of them you go, you know, I'm not doing that and I'm not experiencing peace there. Or I need to practice that more. It's so important that we not only learn it, but Christ and Paul want you to live it. And I want you to live it too. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his word. Thank you that the gospel gives us this peace. But Lord, I, I want to live in this more. I just confess it's easy for me to hold on to anxiety. Would you just prompt me again this week that in each of those moments, just to pray, to release that to you. Lord, I, I pray as well for anybody who's hearing this that uh, maybe there's one of these principles, maybe all of them, that uh, they're not practicing. Lord, we don't want to be a people that just learn. We want to be people that practice it so we can experience it because that's what you promised. And so we pray these things in Christ. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.